Hi, Rob. Good evening. Hi, Paul. Okay, everybody, we're back. And we are Paul back. is now my permanent co-host. This is Since You Asked, and even if you didn't. And, well, Paul and I will be coming to you regularly now about a number of different subjects. Our first uh, podcast was about six weeks ago on bipartisanship in the Trump era. Tonight, we're sticking to politics, sort of. Um, <laughs> I'm a policy wonk, and Paul is a law student, and with the recent news about Justice Anthony Kennedy's retirement from the Supreme Court, we thought it'd be a perfect time to tackle Justice Anthony Kennedy and the U.S. Supreme Court. What does the legacy of the consummate swing vote look like as he retires at the end of this month? Where might the court be going, and what does that mean for some of our nation's most crucial issues? All right, here we go. Here we go, Rob. So, um, I guess to start, maybe we'll give a, um, just some opening remarks, I guess, about, about Justice Kennedy and what, so what I think he provided for the Supreme Court was a unique perspective that we, that hasn't really been seen before, um, by any modern day justices in that he was, um, nominated by a uh, Republican president, Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was the third choice of Reagan, by the way, not, not <laughs> Reagan's first choice. It took three tries to get, um, which is interesting. You know, I guess that could speak to um, his more centrist views. Although many times throughout Kennedy's um, time on the court, though his most important opinions um, often side with the uh, left leaning or the progressive leaning justices, um, Kennedy was is, is a pretty classic conservative judge. Um, the difference comes when it comes to the social issues. He was kind of a, a major player for. Uh, women's rights and LGBTQ rights and uh, was really, really heavy hitter in the social um, issues. And so I think that what we saw and what we've read about through our own history books or whatever it may be was a judge that was truly able to be impartial at times and see things from a legal perspective and a human mm-hmm. perspective rather than mm-hmm. a Republican or a Democratic perspective, um, which is what the Supreme Court was designed to do. Um, so I do think that we lost this year um, one of the most true, real Supreme Court justices we've had in, in many, many years. Well, and I think, you know, we now sort of see um the the disappearance of the center um and i without being disrespectful to uh other justices the disappearance of objectivity without respect to ideology um i think the other justices on the court by their history uh, as a Supreme Court justice or as a federal judge, they're predictable. Uh, mm-hmm. Anthony Kennedy is, is not uh, and hasn't been for 30 years. Um, and I think 
Justice Kennedy said once at at a um, at a um, an event at the Harvard Law School, he said that he hated being called a swing vote. Right. He hated. Right. It. Uh, and what he said was something that I find very interesting. He said the cases swing. I don't. Right. And that I think is is incredibly true because if you look at his rulings on a number of important issues, uh, he has been uh, a major ally of gay rights, uh, ruled um, in favor of gay rights in in every case since his time on the court, um, struck down the sodomy law in Lawrence v. Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously wrote the majority opinion of the court in Obergefell, um, and, you know, was a major player in Windsor and other cases. but also, on the more conservative side, uh, was part of the majority in Bush v. Gore that that stopped the Florida recount and mm-hmm. allowed George Bush to become president of the United States. Uh, and then, of course, was was a deciding vote in Citizens uh, Citizens United. Right. Um, and I mean, so you look at that and you say, well, okay, so he also, you know. Um, uh, D.C. versus Heller um, mm-hmm. with the handgun ban. He sided with with gun owners on that one. Uh, so he sided with the gun owners. He sided with political contributions. But then, hang on a minute, he upholds gay rights, strikes mm-hmm. down gay dis- discrimination laws, and also upholds a woman's right to an abortion. But at the same time, promotes and and upholds the rights of states to impose restrictions on that in, in Casey. Um, Casey, I think, is a really interesting case um, because there isn't actually a true majority opinion. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of plurality opinions. Right, um, right. So let's... Um... Let's give some people some some background yeah. of of Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Um, so, without flipping my pages too much, <laughs> <laughs> so Planned Parenthood v. Casey is is really the abortion case that followed Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. um, and kind of updated that opinion a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and the. Uh, let me let's see the the main issue of Planned Parenthood v. Casey, I believe, was about a. I may be wrong here. I think it was about a, a younger girl who was um, trying to receive an abortion, um, and I'm going to fact check myself here in real time, people. This is this is good stuff right here. Um, so in, in, in Pennsylvania, there was a statute that required informed consent and a 24-hour uh-huh. waiting period for all women uh-huh. prior to undergoing abortion procedures. Uh-huh. And in, in the case of a minor seeking an abortion, they were required to obtain the consent of at least one parent. Uh-huh. Um, and a, a married woman had to notify or um, uh, show that the husband was, was notified of the procedure as well. Mm-hmm. 
So, yes, we we had a very there is no majority of opinion um, in that uh, Justices O'Connor, Kennedy and Souter, um, who who were the the uh, the main opinion of the case, mm-hmm. um, said that it, it posed undue burdens and health and safety problems for uh, for the women. And um, and they ended up reading that or deciding that prior to the point of viability um, and there's that word viability, which is uh, a loose term, which is now, which will be the reason that cases will get brought up to the Supreme court in the future. In my opinion, Um, it prior to the point of viability, the government is allowed to regulate Mm -hmm. abortions to the point of health and safety of the mother. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the, the updated opinion. And uh, Stevens and Blackman concurred, um, but said that Roe versus Wade was correct in that it is up to the, um, uh, the first trimester is that point. Correct, right? Yes. Am I right, Bob? So, so I think the, the, the most amazing thing uh, about the Stevens, or sorry, sorry about the um, Kennedy, Souter, O'Connor plurality is that in like the first real sentence of the meat of the opinion after the introduction, they uphold a woman's right to choose. Yes. Right there. They, they put it in plain text in the very first sentence of the real meat of the opinion. It's right there. Right. Um, and so I think for Anthony Kennedy, that creates sort of a complicated uh, legacy on abortion because for – um, some on the left wing, he's not pro-choice enough. For some on the right wing, he's not pro-life enough. Uh, and and so I think that that is a complicated uh, piece of his legacy. Um, but I think um, what really needs to be considered by well, especially by the left wing, probably in considering Anthony Kennedy's legacy. Uh, mm-hmm. is that if President Reagan's first choice, Robert Bork, had been uh, confirmed to the court, mm-hmm. um, the, the, a, a woman's right to choose as laid out in Roe would never have been upheld in Casey. Casey would have gone a different way. Justice, Judge Bork would never have, have ruled uh, the way that, that Justice Kennedy ruled. Absolutely. And I think that, um, I think that, uh, that every... Every centrist Democrat, every left-wing Democrat, every progressive, every Democrat needs to realize that when you think about the legacy of Justice Kennedy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, no, maybe he was, maybe he didn't rule on the side of choice in every case. He did in a lot of cases. Right. Um, and I think on the on on the right-wing side, no, he didn't go as far as Judge Bork would have gone, or even maybe Judge Ginsburg. Um, Judge Douglas Ginsburg, that is, who was the second choice of President Reagan. Um, Mm -hmm. But he did uphold the right of a state to impose restrictions on abortion. Right. Um, Right. And I think that that, I mean, Planned Parenthood versus Casey has been the the modern um, sort of standard for um, what abortion laws are in this country and what they can be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's why you find 
several states being more restrictive on abortion is because Casey allows them to do so. It does. Um, it does. But you still find the ability across this country to access abortion also because of Casey. Right. Um, and, and so that, uh, you know, that's a, that's, it's a big case. It um, is. It, it, it's, and it does certainly leave many things, you know, up to a question. People, I don't know if people actually realize that, um, you know, after that point of viability, whatever that is determined to be, states are allowed to outlaw abortion because of Planned yes. Parenthood versus Casey. Yes. Um, and, and prior to that, you know, the government can only intervene for the health and safety of the mother. Right. And the, and the, and the Senate, um, the Senate tried earlier this year, I think, to, to pass um, a ban of abortion in the, in the mm-hmm. third trimester. Uh, right. It did not work. Right. Uh, the House passed it. The Senate did not, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it, it um, I think that, that the fact that the House passed that and the Senate did not, I, I think is um, very emblematic of where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, as a country right now on this issue. We're very divided. Um, right. But I think what matters on this issue, because it matters for the court, is the Senate. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look at it, uh, there are two pro-choice Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Yes. Uh, Susan Collins. Susan Collins, right. And Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Right. Um, Lisa Murkowski has said that she will not use abortion rights as a litmus test for a justice. Susan Collins is a little bit different. Um, not necessarily outright saying that she'll use it as a litmus test, but saying that uh, that a justice who would not say that mm-hmm. uh, Roe versus Wade is kind of settled law would would trouble her, perhaps to the point of her voting against them. Right. Um, and of course, with with my dear Senator McCain. Uh, still being here in Arizona, um, you know, that Senator Collins voting no could potentially derail uh, a justice's confirmation mm-hmm. if the Democrats are united. Um, but you have this really complicated thing that's going on now where you have several, uh, you have 10 Democrats who are up for re-election in states right. won by Donald Trump in 2016. Mm. The Senate is going to take this vote in September. Right. Sometime before the court comes back into session in October, the Senate is taking this vote. Right. So you have some Democrats in some pretty pro-life conservative states. You've got right. some Democrats in the Senate who are going to face re-election. It's a tough choice for them to decide whether or not to vote for or against yes. President Trump's nominee to the court, whoever that might be. Mm-hmm. And, and so politically... Uh, this is tough because right. if, if the Democrats are united, uh, Susan Collins can can derail uh, any nominee that she doesn't find satisfactory because uh, she noted last week that to her, any justice who would not say that Roe versus Wade is settled law is defining themselves as an activist judge. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the. That is the important thing to avoid. Um, and, and actually, you know, I didn't I didn't I wasn't aware that that many senators were uh, elected in 
states that um, voted for Donald Trump, and that's surprising and scary. Uh, I mean, you you have um, Bill Nelson in Florida, Claire McCaskill in Missouri, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, um, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, whose father was the governor in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Um, Mm. You have uh, John Tester in Montana. Um, You have... um, um, oh gosh, where else? Heidi Heidkamp in North Dakota. Um, you've got um, Debbie Stabenow in Michigan. Uh, how many is that? I don't know. You got two more, Rob. Uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Okay. Um, where am I going? Um, hang on. I got. <laughs> I got to think for a minute. Um, he will get this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm. Well, I'm gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I gotta think. Um, gosh. Um, okay. Um. <laughs> you're, you're, this is a. Yeah, you're, the sparks are they're going. Um, because you've got you've got twenty. Let's four uh, Democrats up and nine Republicans. I think. Oh, right. come on! It's there. It's there. Uh, gosh, it's it's not there. I I can't think of who the tenth one is. Uh, we'll come back. It, it'll it'll come to you eventually. It and, will uh, come to me. Uh, oh, Ohio, Sherrod Brown. There we go. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay. All so, right. So see, there, those, those are the ten. Uh, and if you look at. Uh, Joe Manchin, mm-hmm. he sort of has in the past defined himself as a pro-life Democrat. Um, I don't know how vulnerable Joe Manchin is. Joe Manchin is pretty popular in West Virginia. Um, at the same time, Donald Trump had a huge, huge, huge margin of victory in West Virginia. And Jim Justice, the governor of West Virginia, who used to be a Democrat, has since become a Republican. Right. Um, Bill Nelson's in a tough spot because Rick Scott, the current governor of Florida, is a very wealthy uh, man, is self-financing his campaign, and has made it a very tight race uh, mm-hmm. up to this point. Uh, Joe Donnelly in Indiana is is in a little bit of trouble. Uh, the governor of Indiana is Republican. Vice President Pence is from Indiana. He's very right. popular. Um, you know, and even though one of the sitting congressmen did not get nominated as a Republican nominee in Indiana – uh, you still got Joe Donnelly in trouble. And Joe Donnelly, unfortunately for him, doesn't have a whole lot of a legislative record uh, of his own that he can can run on to sustain him. Uh, and so he's, he's in a little bit of trouble up there. Uh, and I think that, you know, those... Uh, and then McCaskill uh, in Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, running against Josh Hawley, who is the attorney general of Missouri, um, and, you know, you can argue about Josh Hawley's campaign. I think Josh Hawley's running a terrible campaign, actually. Uh, but Claire McCaskill has never really had a wide margin of victory in either of her elections to the Senate thus far. And I don't think she's going to have a wide margin this time. Uh, you've got uh, a governor there um, in Mike Parson, who uh, has just become the governor after Eric Greitens has resigned. Um, Missouri's other senator, Roy Blunt, is Republican and is is in Republican leadership. Uh, and so you, you've got a pretty conservative state. I think uh, Missouri went for Donald Trump by like 12 points or something. Right. Um, and so you've got Claire McCaskill as a Democrat running in a pretty conservative state. Um, she's gotten relatively lucky 
the last couple of times with the Republicans that have been nominated and with the divide that's going on between the supporters of, of Attorney General Hawley and former Governor Greitens, uh, you might still see her squeak by. But I think it's going to be difficult. Um, I think that's why you've seen her sort of cross over more on some of the votes um, and support the president a little more often recently uh, is because she wants to, you know, show that she's able to work with the president when she needs to. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be tough uh, unless he presents a really conservative nominee. Uh, right. I, I don't know. I hope he doesn't. I hope that uh, White House counsel Don McGahn is able to convince him that a more centrist judge justice is appropriate. I hope he doesn't go uh, sort of to the mold of Gorsuch again. Right. Not not that there's anything against Neil Gorsuch, but I do think that we need at least one centrist justice on the court. And I think now that Justice Kennedy is gone um, from the court, just uh, Chief Justice Roberts is probably the closest we have to a centrist. Yes. And, and a lot has been speculated that before Kennedy retired, he conferred with Chief Justice Roberts and upholding um, cases like Roe versus Wade and and um, and and Planned Parenthood v. Casey and, um, and and all the other cases. And and he does that because that is speculated because um, Chief Justice Roberts is uh, he is very tough to overturn um, settled law or right, which he, is he, he, he reads precedents and reads into it and accepts precedents when it is there, which um, is starry decisis, right? I mean, it, right. Exactly. Uh, and it, you know, and then there's the argument, well, is D.C. versus Heller settled law from 2008? Mm-hmm. Is it settled law or 2010? I can't remember which. Uh, is Citizens United settled law or can those be overturned? Uh, right. I, that's tough because, you know, you, I would like to say that same sex marriage is settled law, but it only came in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that that Heller and Citizens United are settled law because they came earlier? I don't know. Um, but I certainly think uh, that Roe versus Wade, having been decided 45 years ago, uh, is settled law. It, it is. I'm sorry. And, and if you look at the facts now, abortion is at record lows. If we overturn Roe versus Wade, I believe we will experience more accidental deaths because of coat hanger abortions, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be backroom procedures. They're not going to be safe. They're not going to be following the law. Uh, and I think it's important that we, that we, you know, if you want to place restrictions on it as a state, go ahead. Place as many restrictions on it as, as Planned Parenthood versus Casey allows you to do. That's fine. Do that. But at the end of the day, a woman can still choose to have an abortion. And I right. do think I am a pro-life person, okay, but I I do believe uh, in facts, and I do believe mm-hmm. in settled law, um, mm-hmm. and I I think that Roe versus Wade is settled law. I think you can be a pro-life person, and respect stare decisis. I agree with you a hundred percent. I think there's a huge difference uh, between personal beliefs and and um, public. Um, what you believe is good for the public and what's good for other people. And um, 
while you and I not, might not believe in 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 uh, abortion, it's not. It's I don't believe that it is up to the personal person to say whether or not another individual should be forced to carry a child. Um, no, I don't either. And, and, and it certainly and, isn't up to the government to say. Absolutely. So let's briefly, um, I, w- I want to mention two things, and then I want to move on to um, a, a case on the other side of the spectrum that Kennedy has uh, decided on. And, but, but first, I, I just want to point out two things. And one, it's a couple of things that I've seen people criticize, uh, mostly my liberal friends, one of those things is that people criticized Trump for saying that he would not question potential judges about um, how they would have decided on Roe versus Wade. And it was portrayed in multiple media stories as just despicable that he wouldn't, that he wouldn't ask them about this. And I just want to uh, put on the record for those that do not know that it is very, very um, not kosher, not a good thing, um, and is is looked down upon for um, a president to question a judge or any person to question a judge on how they would rule in a certain case. Um, mm-hmm. Donald Trump is absolutely in the right to not question somebody on on that law and on that case. Um, so it, I just had to. I, I wanted to clear the air on that and. The other thing I wanted to clear the air on was the fact that um, some people believe that the that Kennedy stepping down was some sort of political stunt that he might have been bribed into it, or even people have gone so far as to say that his son um, was in collaboration with Donald Trump when he was working for Deutsche Bank and um, that somehow the Russians are involved. And I also would like to just you know remind people that. Justice Kennedy was nominated by a Republican president. So it's not crazy for him to step down during a Republican presidency. And he has said multiple times that the reason he stepped down was so that he could spend time with his grandkids. And for somebody to say, you know, he should have stuck around, he should have stuck around. Well, if he was trying to stick around for a Democratic president, he may have been waiting two or six years or even more. Right. If well, another I, Republican was elected. I mean, I, I think the, these sort of um, liberal conspiracy theories about Justice Kennedy stepping down they, they are that. They are conspiracy theories. They are mm-hmm. insane. Um, and I think to accuse someone um, of Justice Kennedy's stature of political motivation uh, in his retirement is obnoxious mm-hmm. um i think uh you know everybody on on the left side especially was quick to to praise justice kennedy and herald him uh when he ruled on things on their side um especially with with um lgbt issues and with um women's rights issues and other civil rights things Everybody was quick to praise Justice Kennedy when he did that, but all of a sudden when he retires because he's 81 years old and he's been on the court for 30 years, right. uh, you know, he's some sort of terrible human being whose legacy is trashed because he retired during Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, but I, I, 
you know, I should note that I, Justice Kennedy's retirement um, has been talked about for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that most justices go on a year-by-year basis, most of them, who are thinking about retirement, go on a year-by-year basis, even all the way down to Justice Thomas. I, I think probably that every year in the homes of Anthony Kennedy, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, and Clarence Thomas, um, there have been conversations about retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and um, so to, to talk of political motivation, to talk of collusion, to talk of, of any of these things, interference of any kind from children or foreign countries, in a retirement of Supreme Court justice is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is below the belt, absolutely. Um, and it makes the assumption that I think is entirely antithetical to the purpose of the Supreme Court. It makes the assumption that Supreme Court justices make political decisions. Um, and they certainly aren't charged with doing so. They're charged with making constitutional decisions. Um, but I think now, seeing the debate that has come uh, with the retirement of Justice Kennedy and the polarization, I think it shows um, perhaps that the Supreme Court maybe has become a little too powerful uh, when the retirement of one justice sparks this much controversy. Um and for the record, I don't really think that the anger and the vitriol that is coming is about the fact that Donald Trump is getting another appointee to the court because President Obama had two appointees, mm-hmm. uh, President Bush had right. two appointees, President right. Clinton had two appointees, President Reagan had, um, sorry, President Bush 41 had two, President Reagan had three, um, I think. Uh, I don't know if Carter had any. Um, President Ford, Gerald Ford had one. Nixon had four. Uh, and so to to say that it's absurd for Donald Trump to have a second nominee is not the point and is no. also wrong. No. Um, I think the anger and the vitriol is coming from the fact that the ideological tilt of the court is about to potentially change dramatically. Yes, but yes. That's, and that's invite, true. I would invite you, um, all of my friends who are concerned about this, to remember uh, the composition of the Senate as it stands today. Um, and to remember that a nominee has to get 51 votes or 50 plus the vice president. Um, okay. If you are not satisfied with whoever the nominee is, and I understand that the nominee is um, probably going to be announced uh, next week mm-hmm. um, on on my birthday, actually. Um, oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, if you're not satisfied with that person, the reality is that it's probably going to take some time for the Senate to consider that nominee. Uh, and so you have probably four to six weeks, maybe, maybe a little longer to call your senators and express your opinions. 
I'm not guaranteeing that they'll listen. But if you are their constituents, they should listen. And please, 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 please. If you are trying to reach out to a United States senator who does not actually represent you, as in you are not a resident of their state, registered to vote in their state, then please do not call their office. Please contact them either via social media or via their online system. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to clog up the phone lines so that their constituents cannot actually get through. And government doesn't function well when we do that. So (laughs) please please don't do that. Um, That's just not okay. Um, And these conspiracy theories are not okay. Because the Supreme Court of the United States is by its own nature an apolitical body. And perhaps, perhaps, I'm just saying, if the president nominates a centrist, as I hope he does, um, then maybe some Democratic votes would be appropriate. Maybe it would be nice if we did not have um, this consistent divide over Supreme Court uh, nominations. Maybe it would be nice if we returned to days similar to when Justice Kennedy was confirmed, similar to Justice Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, Justice O'Connor, Justice Souter, uh, Justice Thomas, these current and former justices of 25, 30 years ago who were confirmed with overwhelmingly large bipartisan majorities. I think that's important for us to return to that because we are at a point in this country when we lack faith in our institutions and the political divide surrounding appointments like these only makes that trust in institutions worse. Mm -hmm. And for um, the American people to not have absolute trust in the impartiality of the Supreme Court of the United States is just, I mean, it almost makes me sick. Um, Because there's no way that we can respect the rulings and the decisions of the Supreme Court as the law of the land unless the American people have trust in the Supreme Court. And that isn't going to come if our leaders who have to confirm those justices are so bitterly divided. Um, And so I I think we've got to figure out some way to return to that. Um, my personal opinion on how to do that is, well, you've, you've got to nominate more centrist justices. They've got to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, um, I think the problem of the Supreme Court becoming maybe too powerful is it's an interesting thought. I don't, I, I've heard it actually a couple times from other people that they believe that not only has the Supreme Court become too powerful, but it is a, a um, an automobile for the liberal for the Democratic Party because it's easier <laughs> for them than passing legislation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pretty 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 low blow. That one came from Ben Shapiro. Uh, <laughs> he so so um i would just point out to to ben 
and to all others who feel that way, um, the uh, civil rights of the opinions that that um, were were produced by the Supreme Court that um, desegregated our country, that actually gave rights to women, um, and they're not to mention the numerous numerous um, opinions they have, especially in recent years, come out with that support conservative ideas and push forward conservative agendas. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look look at look at the fact they just they just this yeah this past week. I mean, just, just this week, they they shut down um, uh, forcing people forcing to join labor unions, sector, right? Yeah, public sector labor unions. Right. They, they shut that down. Uh, um, they upheld the travel ban. Yes, they did. Um, they uh, what was the other one uh, this past week? Just just. Uh... And I, I should like to point out to my no. dear friends on my side of the aisle, in this term, this last term of the court. I think there were something like 19 cases ruled on. Um, Justice Kennedy did not side with the liberal bloc on the Supreme Court in a single Mm -hmm. one of those cases. Yes. But but to my friends on the other side, I think you have to look at Justice Kennedy's legacy in supporting you on civil rights issues so often that that Robert Bork, um, the original nominee of President Reagan, would not have done. Right. He would not have done it. Right. Yeah, that's it. Thank you to uh, Ronald Reagan and the Senate at that time for doing... For... Yeah, boy, that, thank you to Senator Ted Kennedy. Yes. Uh, for, for his speech about Robert Bork's America. Thank right. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you to then-Senator Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and to others who rejected uh, Judge Bork. Thank you. Um, thank you, Judge Douglas Ginsburg, for withdrawing your own nomination. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you, Justice Anthony Kennedy, for your 30 years of service to the Supreme yes. Court. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank mm-hmm. you, Justice Kennedy, for dealing with swinging cases in an unpredictable fashion that upheld ideals on both sides of the ideological spectrum. Thank you for being what a judge is supposed to be. Right. Thank you, Justice Kennedy. Thank you so much. Uh, And thank you, by the way, uh, for saying that um, I I have to read, I have to read this. Uh, His, um, his, um, Opinion in in the Obergefell case. Give me a, give me a minute to pull this up here. We're we're on the fly, fact checking ourselves again. Yes, always always fact checking, flipping through our books. No union is more profound than marriage. Okay, well, that's pretty powerful right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost it. Hang on. 
my face hit the wrong button. For it embodies the highest idea. I'm I'm losing it. I'm sorry, um, but but basically, in that opinion, Justice Kennedy writes that the petitioners seek equal recognition in the eyes of the law, and under the Fourteenth Amendment, the Constitution protects that right. Uh, he says something that I think is really compelling. Um, he talks about the bonds of marriage uh, enduring even past death. And he talks about um, the fact that the petitioners in that case do not disrespect the institution of marriage, but rather that they respect it so much that they seek it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I think um, the ideals that he points out of it embodying love and fidelity it, through marriage, it, 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 it's that ruling, that opinion, I think, is one of the most striking uh, rulings in the history of the court. Um, you know, the, the perhaps the strongest ally of sort of the rainbow movement mm-hmm. um, wore black. Yeah. Had, I, no I, co- had no color at all, right? Because I mean, you know, he, he, he Lawrence v. Texas, he ruled, struck mm-hmm. down a, a sodomy. He, right. He's ruled in favor every single LGBT rights case that has come before yes. the court since since his time on the court in 1988. He has ruled in favor of LGBT rights. He right. is probably, uh, or perhaps, the most LGBT friendly justice ever. Yes, I would. I mean. I, I, as far as writing the opinions of the court, um, he certainly expresses um, the most beautiful language. He does. With he does. regards to equality. I found oh. the quote that you oh, good. referenced. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it now. Good. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure past even death. It would misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it, respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. And, I mean, that's just one. Do do you have goosebumps? Because I do. Yeah, I mean, it's to have someone speak with such elegance and and eloquence and eloquence from you know from that position from the position that he's in yes it's almost it almost reads like poetry 
It does. I mean, he really is is beautiful. Um, it, it's a marvelous opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, we protect the First Amendment. We protect the rights of certain religious institutions to not recognize same-sex marriage if they don't wish to do so. But they ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. Mm-hmm. The Constitution grants them that right. Right. So, okay, so... You want to go to the courthouse and get married? Go ahead, fine. You want to go to a hotel and get married? Go ahead, fine. Uh, you know, and if to certain churches, if you want to go there and get married, great. To other ones, no. And they have a right not to. They have a right not to be forced to do that because of the First Amendment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, um, you know, and we could get into the masterpiece ruling, but that's another story for another day. Um, that that is a um, that's a slippery slope that we're on um, with businesses denying service, um, but but anyway, we'll get into that on another podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you wanted to go uh, to a case on the other side. Oh, okay. So yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about when he sided with conservatives. Mm-hmm. And he did many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps the most important of this uh, generation is the Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission case, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where basically the Supreme Court allowed for um, groups, corporations to funnel money into political campaigns mm-hmm. um, and, and rather than be subject to the uh, individual cap on, mm-hmm. on um, funding campaigns. And I guess let's, I want, I want to hear your, I want to hear your take on, on the decision before I give my take, I guess. So it's really complicated law mm-hmm. um, because corporations um, contribute to PACs and to super PACs, but not to campaigns themselves. Right. LLCs can contribute to campaigns themselves, as can individuals, but no, I'm pretty sure no foreign citizen can contribute to U.S. elections. Um, and so it's very complicated law. The decision, I think, is one uh, of tremendous consequence, but um, while I might have argued once that it needed to be overturned, and I, I may argue that again in the future, my thought process now is that campaigns are changing in the way that they're structured and the way that they're run. Um, advertising for campaigns is moving much more towards social media uh, as a platform and away from cable news, radio, and newspaper, that sort of thing. Not that it doesn't exist there still. It does. Um, But that's sort of fading as a medium. Um, Social media is becoming much more popular. Digital advertising, uh, online advertising is becoming much larger uh, an outlet for campaigns. Um, And so I almost think that changes... Um, the way that campaign finance needs to be regulated. Um, And I think that we need to see, I believe there's a bill 
from Senator Warner, Senator Klobuchar, and Senator McCain that was introduced to talk about regulating uh, online campaign advertising, digital advertising, social media uh, activity of campaigns in the same way that television, radio, and newspaper ads are currently regulated or in similar ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to see what happens to that law and to laws like it that might come in the next few years before we make a concrete decision on uh, overturning Citizens United. Yes, I see. Um, so uh, it is very complicated law mm-hmm. um, and much, much more complicated than, than the case comes out. Actually, some people, I guess, might be surprised to find that the case itself was simply based on a political ad. Um, right. It was about a, a movie targeting right. Hillary Clinton. Yes. Yes. And the, and the political ad was banned um, because it uh, it was seen as slander, basically, against Hillary Clinton uh, and mudslinging in a campaign. And the what what the Supreme Court said was that corporations enjoy the rights of freedom of speech, just like any other individual. And um, because of that, they cannot be stopped from running such political ads if they have the means to do it. Now, in the years that have followed, um, that ruling has kind of been expanded. Uh, People have kind of tested the waters to see what they can do. And now we're at the point where um, super PACs are able to contribute um, millions and millions and millions of dollars to uh, political campaigns. Well, I think, hang on a minute, because I think it should be noted, um, super PACs cannot coordinate with campaigns themselves. They have to run independent uh, advertising, and that cannot be coordinated with the campaign. That's known as collusion. Um, and, and so I think that is an important distinction. Not- You're right. It, and that is fair. That is fair. Definitely, um, as long as you're kept separate, I understand that, that you do have that um, freedom to speak. And um, I think the issue is that when they have such freedom and when these PACs have such power, they are able to push for any candidate that they wish. Um, and only until now, with the election of Donald Trump, has it not worked? Um, well, I want to, I want to, I mean, yes, the idea that, that corporations um, have this immense power um, in sort of increasing the uh, wealth gap, if you will, in terms of political contributions is not it's not unimportant and I don't disregard that um, the reason that I'm not willing to say that Citizens United absolutely should be overturned number one is because of the reasons I talked about with the changes in campaigns mm-hmm. but number two uh, Donald Trump is president right. um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just beat Joe Crawley in New York, a 20-year incumbent, right. um, and beat him by 14 points right. in a Democratic primary. Bernie Sanders 
launched an incredibly impressive challenge to Hillary Clinton. And I think that at one point, uh, before he suspended his campaign, his average contribution was something like $27. Right. right. Now, obviously, he he was not on the successful uh, end of that campaign, but he still mounted an incredibly impressive campaign. I think one probably stronger than anyone expected him to mount. Um, and And he did so with a lot of grassroots support. I think the most important thing for people to think about when they think about Citizens United um, and when they think about corporations and political speech, um, it, it's intended to sway your opinion. Okay? The corporations advertising through, through PACs and super PACs, they, those ads are intended to sort of um, hold up the adage that if you say it so many times, it'll eventually be true. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what? If you don't want it to be true, it does not have to be. Right. Corporations, corporations do not have the power to vote. Right. Money does not vote. People do vote. So I guess my advice on Citizens United at this point, um, if you don't like the speech being made by corporations on either side of the aisle, whether it be made by the Koch brothers or by George Soros and Tom Steyer or by um, uh, um, who are those people, um, the Mercers um, mm-hmm. or Warren Buffett or whoever it might be and whatever ideological spectrum they, they might be on. If you don't like it, you don't have to agree with it. And you get to vote. You get right. to vote. Right. So go vote. Turn out to vote. For God's sake, turn out to vote. If you want change in the political system, vote. That's vote. And, and that's the problem. And that's the problem with all of this is that these ads that are meant to sway your opinion do they do, and they reach the audience that is voting, that is yes. older. They reach their target. Older audiences, older, more often than not, older white audiences. They, oh. It's completely successful, and, and I, think, I think that with the rise of the social media campaign, we are seeing younger people start to vote more. Um, I hope that that trend continues. But as of right now, uh, young voters are still outnumbered by older voters. And um, until that changes, I think I will still feel the same about um, super PACs being able to push and pedal whatever they want. And it doesn't help when we have, you know, mainstream news organizations pushing and peddling whatever they want. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, you know, um, so, I mean, my, seriously, if you want to talk about uh, for the last few minutes, and, and then we, we probably should wrap up here. Mm-hmm. But, but if you want to talk about how to change uh, the political conversation in this country, the way things are going with the fact that 90% of incumbents get reelected 
uh, with 60% of the vote or higher every single time, 90% of the time, 90% of the time, the incumbent wins and they win with 60% of the vote or higher. 90% of the time. 90%. Which is crazy. 90%. That's nuts. Okay. If you want to change that, vote. Right. And if you want to change that, turn off CNN, turn off Fox News, yes. turn off MSNBC, go watch ABC, go watch NBC, go watch CBS, and for heaven's sake, pick up a newspaper. Read. <laughs> pick up a newspaper. Do not get your, do not let Facebook or Twitter be your primary news source. Uh, no. Don't no. do it. Don't do it. And watch local news. Please yeah. watch local news. Because guess what? The most important things that happen in government happen at the local level at your school boards, your city councils, your county governments, and your state legislatures. That's where it happens. That's where the most change that affects your life the most immediately happens. And guess what most people don't pay attention to? Those elections. Because what do we not watch? Local news. And what do we not read? Local news. So we've got to change that. I'm not saying don't pay attention to national news. But what I am saying is, please, for the love of God, quit watching Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow mm-hmm. yeah. go at it after each other every night. They, they are, in the words of Ted Koppel, those kinds of news contributors, opinion contributors, mm-hmm. to the news industry. They're not news. They are dangerous for America. They are. Because they're, they're brainwashing you. I don't care what ideology you hold. They are brainwashing you to believe that your side is the only side that's ever right and that everybody on the other side is somehow either stupid or evil or both. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. I think we urged you in the last podcast to go out and find somebody in real life who you know who doesn't agree with you. And I'm going to urge you to do that again. Yeah. Sit down and have a real face-to-face conversation about real issues, and I promise you, because Paul and I do this, we're doing it right now, <laughs> that, that you will agree right. probably more often than you don't. Absolutely. Right? It's true. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I, as a final um, sort of shout out here at the end of our podcast, technology is really cool. Uh, Paul and I are recording this, in case you do not know, on an app called Anchor. I am sitting in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Paul is sitting in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, we are three hours in time difference. And yet, I'm pretty sure both of us are recording this podcast right now on our iPhones. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we are probably both sitting in the comforts of our, of our homes. We are not in a professional studio. Uh, and we're not together. But All here right. we are recording together bringing you this message, and guess what? I'm a Republican, Paul's a Democrat, and for probably 80% of this podcast, we've agreed on most right. things. Right, yeah. It's I really mean, remarkable. It's... it's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, you just got to talk to each other. I, I try to talk to my conservative friends as often as possible, and that's the only way that we're going to come up with any sort of solution Um to today's problems. And, and I want to I note to everybody here, I may not be as conservative as, as some other Republicans are, but Paul, my dear friend on the other side of the aisle, has actually urged me numerous times to run for office. 
and offered to help me if I run for public office. Whoa, hang on a second. <laughs> Let me repeat that. A Democrat in Massachusetts <laughs> has offered to help a Republican in Arizona seek public office. Okay, it can happen if you just have real conversations. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, when it comes, you know, we, we you have to play on one side of the team or the other, because that's you just do. how it is. You but, do. That's the system. But, the, but, the, but in reality, we're not Democrat and Republican. We're American. We're American. We're human. Yes. And, and working together is the only way to, to make humanity better. From your lips to America's ears, my friend. I hope so. Um, <laughs> well... Rob, we are we are we hit spot on. We did a good job tonight. I think. Oh, good. good. Staying Perfect. succinct, um, and uh, you know we loved talking about Justice Kennedy and the Supreme Court. Um, we look forward to seeing what's going to happen in the next couple weeks, mm-hmm. in the next few months, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know maybe maybe next time we'll uh, we'll talk about something non political. Yeah, maybe we should talk about dinner parties or something. Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob, and I both love to cook, so I think maybe we'll we'll do something like that next time. We should go through like Julia Child's "The Art of French Cooking" or something. (laughs) There we go. Okay, we're doing. There it is. Here we go, everybody. (laughs) We're going through Julia Child's "The Art of French Cooking" on the next. Since you asked, and even if you didn't, thank you so much for listening. For Paul Knapp, I am Rob Egan. Stay tuned for our next episode. We love you. Good night. Good night. Hi, Rob. Good evening. Hi, Paul. Okay, everybody, we're back. And we are Paul back. is now my permanent co-host. This is Since You Asked, and even if you didn't. And, well, Paul and I will be coming to you regularly now about a number of different subjects. Our first uh, podcast was about six weeks ago on bipartisanship in the Trump era. Tonight, we're sticking to politics, sort of. Um <laughs> I'm a policy wonk, and Paul is a law student, and with the recent news about Justice Anthony Kennedy's retirement from the Supreme Court, we thought it'd be a perfect time to tackle Justice Anthony Kennedy and the U.S. Supreme Court. What does the legacy of the consummate swing vote look like as he retires at the end of this month? Where might the court be going, and what does that mean for some of our nation's most crucial issues? All right, here we go. Here we go, Rob. So, um, I guess to start, maybe we'll give a, um, just some opening remarks, I guess, about, about Justice Kennedy and what, so what I think he provided for the Supreme Court was a unique perspective that we, that hasn't really been seen before, um, by any modern day justices in that he was, um, nominated by a uh, Republican president, Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was the third choice of Reagan, by the way, not, not <laughs> Reagan's first choice. It took three tries to get, um, which is interesting. You know, I guess that could speak to um, his more centrist views. Although many times throughout Kennedy's um, time on the court, though his most important opinions um, often side with the uh, left-leaning or the progressive-leaning justices, um, Kennedy was is is a pretty classic 
conservative judge. Um, the difference comes when it comes to the social issues. He was kind of a, a major player for um, women's rights and LGBTQ rights and uh, was really, really heavy hitter in the social um, issues. And yes. so I think that what we saw and what we've read about through our own history books or whatever it may be was a judge that was truly able to be impartial at times and see things from a legal perspective and a human perspective rather than mm -hmm. a Republican or a Democratic perspective, um, which is what the Supreme Court was designed to do. Um, so I do think that we lost this year um, one of the most true, real Supreme Court justices we've had in, in many, many years. Well, I think, you know, we now sort of see um, the, the disappearance of the center. Um, and I, without being disrespectful to uh, other justices, the disappearance of objectivity without respect to ideology. Um, I think the other justices on the court by their history uh, as a Supreme Court justice or as a federal judge, they're predictable. Uh, mm -hmm. Anthony Kennedy is, is not uh, and hasn't been for 30 years. Um, and I think uh, Justice Kennedy said once at, at a um, at a um, an event at the Harvard Law School, he said that he hated being called a swing vote. Right. He hated. Right. It. Uh, and what he said was something that I find very interesting. He said the cases swing. I don't. Right. And that I think is is incredibly true, because if you look at his rulings on a number of important issues, uh, he has been. Uh, a major ally of gay rights, uh, ruled um, in favor of gay rights in, in every case since his time on the court, um, struck down the sodomy law in Lawrence v. Texas, uh, mm -hmm. and obviously wrote the majority opinion of the court in right. Obergefell, um, and, you know, was a major player in Windsor and other cases. Um, but also, on the more conservative side, uh, was part of the majority in Bush v. Gore that that stopped the Florida recount and mm -hmm. allowed George Bush to become president of the United States. Uh, and then, of course, was was a deciding vote in Citizens uh, Citizens United. Right. Um, and I mean, so you look at that and you say, well, OK, so he also, you know, um, uh, D.C. versus Heller. Um, mm -hmm. With the handgun ban, he sided with with gun owners on that one. Uh, so he sided with the gun owners. He sided with political contributions. But then, hang on a minute, he upholds gay rights, strikes mm -hmm. down gay dis discrimination laws, and also upholds a woman's right to an abortion. But at the same time, promotes and and upholds the rights of states to 
impose restrictions on that in, in Casey. Um, Casey, I think, is a really interesting case um, because there isn't actually a true majority opinion. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of plurality opinions. Right. Um, right. So let's um, let's give some people some some background. Yeah. Of of Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Um, so without flipping my pages too much. <laughs> <laughs> so Planned Parenthood v. Casey is is really the abortion case that followed Roe versus Wade mm-hmm. um, and kind of updated that opinion a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, let me let's see the the main issue of Planned Parenthood v. Casey, I believe, was about a, I may be wrong here, I think it was about a a younger girl who was um, trying to receive an abortion. Um, And I'm going to fact check myself here in real time, people. This is is good stuff right here. Um, So... In, in in Pennsylvania, there was a statute that required informed consent and a 24-hour waiting period for all women uh-huh. prior to undergoing abortion procedures. Uh-huh. And in, in the case of a minor seeking an abortion, they were required to obtain the consent of at least one parent. Uh-huh. Um, and a, a married woman had to notify or um, uh, show that the husband was, was notified of the procedure as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we, we had a very – there is no majority of opinion um, in that uh, Justices O'Connor, Kennedy, and Souter, um, who, who were the, the, uh, the main opinion of the case, mm-hmm. um, said that it, it posed undue burdens and health and safety problems for, uh, for the women. And, um, and they ended up – reading that or deciding that prior to the point of viability um, and there's that word viability, which is uh, a loose term, which is now, which will be the reason that cases will get brought up to the Supreme court in the future. In my opinion, Um, it prior to the point of viability, the government is allowed to regulate Mm -hmm. abortions to the point of health and safety of the mother. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the, the updated opinion. And uh, Stevens and Blackman concurred, um, but said that Roe versus Wade was correct in that it is up to the, um, uh, the first trimester is that point. Correct, right? Yes. Am I right, Bob? So, so I think the, the, the most amazing thing uh, about the Stevens, or sorry, sorry about the um, Kennedy, Souter, O'Connor plurality is that in like the first real sentence of the meat of the opinion after the introduction, they uphold a woman's right to choose. Yes. Right there. They, they put it in plain text in the very first sentence of the real meat of the opinion. It's right there. Right. Um, and so I think for Anthony Kennedy, that creates sort of a complicated uh, legacy on abortion because for – um, some on the left wing, he's not pro-choice enough. For some on the right wing, he's not pro-life enough. Uh, 
and and so I think that that is a complicated uh, piece of his legacy. Um, but I think um, what really needs to be considered by well, especially by the left wing, probably in considering Anthony Kennedy's legacy, uh, mm-hmm. is that if President Reagan's first choice, Robert Bork, had been uh, confirmed to the court, mm-hmm. um, the the a, a woman's right to choose, as laid out in Roe, would never have been upheld in Casey. Casey would have gone a different way. Justice Judge Bork would never have have ruled uh, the way that that Justice Kennedy ruled, Absolutely. and I think that um, I think that uh, that every every centrist Democrat, every left wing Democrat, every progressive, every Democrat needs to realize that when you think about the legacy of Justice Kennedy. Yeah. Okay? Um, and so, no, maybe he was maybe he didn't rule on the side of choice in every case. He did in a lot of cases. Right. Um, and I think on the on on the right wing side, no, he didn't go as far as Judge Bork would have gone or even maybe Judge Ginsburg, um, Judge Douglas Ginsburg, that is, who was the second choice of President Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did uphold the right of a state to impose restrictions. On abortion. Right. Um, right. And I think that that, I mean, Planned Parenthood versus Casey has been the the modern um, sort of standard for um, what abortion laws are in this country and what they can be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's why you find several states being more restrictive on abortion is because Casey allows them to do so. It does. Um, it does. But you still find the ability across this country to access abortion also because of Casey. Right. Um, and, and so that, uh, you know, that's a, that's, it's a big case. It um, is. It, it, it's, and it does certainly leave many things, you know, up to a question. People, I don't know if people actually realize that, um, you know, after that point of viability, whatever that is determined to be, states are allowed to outlaw abortion because of Planned yes. Parenthood versus Casey. Yes. Um, and, and prior to that, you know, the government can only intervene for the health and safety of the mother. Right. And the, and the, and the Senate um the Senate tried earlier this year, I think, to to pass um, a ban of abortion in the in the mm-hmm. third trimester. Uh, right. It did not work. Right. Uh, the House passed it. The Senate did not. Uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, um, but it it um, I think that that the fact that the House passed that and the Senate did not, I I think is um, very emblematic of where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, as a country right now on this issue. We're very divided. Um, right. But I think what matters on this issue, because it matters for the court, is the Senate. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look at it, uh, there are two pro-choice Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Yes. Uh, Susan Collins. Susan Collins, right. And Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Right. Um, Lisa Murkowski has said that she will not use abortion rights as a litmus test for a justice. Susan Collins is a little bit different. 
um, not necessarily outright saying that she'll use it as a litmus test, but saying that uh, that a justice who would not say that mm-hmm. uh, Roe versus Wade is kind of settled law would would trouble her, perhaps to the point of her voting against them. Right. Um, and of course, with with my dear Senator McCain uh, still being here in Arizona, um, you know that Senator Collins voting no could potentially derail. Uh, a justice's confirmation mm-hmm. if the Democrats are united. Um, but you have this really complicated thing that's going on now where you have several, uh, you have 10 Democrats who are up for re-election in states right. won by Donald Trump in 2016. Mm. The Senate is going to take this vote in September. Right. Sometime before the court comes back into session in October, the Senate is taking this vote. Right. So, you have some Democrats in some pretty pro-life conservative states. You've got right. some Democrats in the Senate who are going to face re-election. It's a tough choice for them to decide whether or not to vote for or against yes. President Trump's nominee to the court, whoever that might be. Mm-hmm. And, and so politically, uh, this is tough because right. if, if the Democrats are united, uh, Susan Collins can can derail uh, any nominee that she doesn't find satisfactory because uh, she noted last week that to her, any justice who would not say that Roe versus Wade is settled law is defining themselves as an activist judge. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the, that is the important thing to avoid. Um, and, and actually, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware that that many senators were, uh, elected in states that uh, um, voted for Donald Trump, and that's surprising and scary. Uh, I mean, you, you have um, Bill Nelson in Florida, Claire McCaskill in Missouri, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, um, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, whose father was the governor in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Uh, mm-hmm. You have uh, John Tester in Montana. Um, you have... Um, um, Oh, gosh, where else? Heidi Heidkamp in North Dakota. Um, you've got um, Debbie Stabenow in Michigan. Uh, how many is that? I don't know. you got two more, Rob. Uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Okay. Um, where am I going? Um, hang on. I got <laughs> to think for a minute. Um, he will get this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, well, I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, okay. I got to think. Um, gosh, um, okay, um, <laughs> you're, you're, this is a, yeah, you're, the sparks are, they're going, um, uh, because you've got, you've got 20, uh, 20, let's, four uh, Democrats up and nine Republicans, I think. Oh, right. come on. It's there. It's there. Uh, gosh, it's, it's not there. I, I can't think of who the 10th one is. Uh, we'll come back. It, it'll, it'll come to you eventually. It and, will uh, come to me. Uh, oh, Ohio, Sherrod Brown. There we go. Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. All so, right. So see there, those, those are the 10. Uh, and if you look at uh, Joe Manchin, mm-hmm. he sort of has, in the past, defined himself as a pro-life Democrat. Um, I don't know how vulnerable Joe Manchin is. Joe Manchin is pretty popular in West Virginia. 
Um, at the same time, Donald Trump had a huge, huge, huge margin of victory in West Virginia. And Jim Justice, the governor of West Virginia, who used to be a Democrat, has since become a Republican. Right. Um, Bill Nelson's in a tough spot because Rick Scott, the current governor of Florida, is a very wealthy uh, man, is self-financing his campaign, and has made it a very tight race uh, mm-hmm. up to this point. Uh, Joe Donnelly in Indiana is is in a little bit of trouble. Uh, the governor of Indiana is Republican. Vice President Pence is from Indiana. He's right. very popular. Um, you know, and even though one of the sitting congressmen did not get nominated as a Republican nominee in Indiana, uh, you still got Joe Donnelly in trouble. And Joe Donnelly, unfortunately for him, doesn't have a whole lot of a legislative record uh, of his own that he can can run on to sustain him. Uh, and so he's, he's in a little bit of trouble up there. Uh, and I think that, you know, those uh, and then McCaskill uh, in Missouri mm-hmm. uh, running against Josh Hawley, who is the attorney general of Missouri. Um, and, you know, you can argue about Josh Hawley's campaign. I think Josh Hawley's running a terrible campaign, actually. Uh, but Claire McCaskill has never really had a wide margin of victory in either of her elections to the Senate thus far. And I don't think she's going to have a wide margin this time. Uh, you've got uh, a governor there. um in Mike Parson, who uh, has just become the governor after Eric Greitens has resigned. Um, Missouri's other senator, Roy Blunt, is a Republican and is, is in Republican leadership. Uh, and so you, you've got a pretty conservative state. I think uh, Missouri went for Donald Trump by like 12 points or something. Right. Um, and so you've got Claire McCaskill as a Democrat running in a pretty conservative state. Um, she's gotten relatively lucky the last couple of times with the Republicans that have been nominated and with the divide that's going on between the supporters of, of attorney general Hawley and former governor Greitens, uh, you might still see her squeak by, but I think it's going to be difficult. Um, I think that's why you've seen her sort of cross over more on some of the votes, um, and support the president a little more often recently, uh, is because she wants to, you know, show that she's able to work with the president when she needs to. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be tough uh, unless he presents a really conservative nominee. Uh, right. And I, I don't know. I hope he doesn't. I hope that uh, White House counsel Don McGahn is able to convince him that a more centrist judge justice is appropriate. I hope he doesn't go uh, sort of to the mold of Gorsuch again. Right. Not not that there's anything against Neil Gorsuch, but I do think that we need at least one centrist justice on the court. And I think now that Justice Kennedy is gone um, from the court, just uh, Chief Justice Roberts is probably the closest we have to a centrist. Yes. And, and a lot has been speculated that before Kennedy retired, he conferred with Chief Justice Roberts and upholding um, cases like Roe versus Wade and and um, and and Planned Parenthood v. Casey and, um, and and all the other cases and be, and he does that because that is speculated because um, Chief Justice Roberts is uh, he is very tough to overturn um, settled law or right which he, is he, he he reads precedents and reads into it and accepts precedents when it is there which um, is starry decisis right I mean it, right. Exactly. Um, and it, you know, and then there's the argument, well, is D.C. versus Heller settled law from 2008? 
Mm -hmm. it settled law or 2010 i can't remember which uh is citizens united settled law or can those be overturned Uh, that's tough because you know i would like to say that same-sex marriage is settled law but it only came in 2015 Mm -hmm. um does that mean that that heller and citizens united are settled law because they came earlier i don't know um but i certainly think uh that roe versus wade having been decided 45 years ago uh is settled law it it is i'm sorry and and if you look at the facts now abortion is at record lows if we overturn roe versus wade i believe we will experience more accidental deaths because of coat hanger abortions essentially Mm -hmm. Um, they're going to be backroom procedures. They're not going to be safe. They're not going to be following the law. Uh, and I think it's important that we, that we, you know, if you want to place restrictions on it as a state, go ahead, place as many restrictions on it as, as Planned Parenthood versus Casey allows you to do. That's fine. Do that. But at the end of the day, a woman can still choose to have an abortion. And I do think. I am a pro-life person, okay, but I I do believe uh, in facts, and I do believe mm-hmm. in settled law, um, mm-hmm. and I I think that Roe versus Wade is settled law. I think you can be a pro-life person, and respect stare decisis. I agree with you a hundred percent. I think there's a huge difference uh, between personal beliefs and and um, public. Um, what you believe is good for the public and what's good for other people. And um, while you and I not, might not believe in, in, in uh, abortion, it's not, it's, I don't believe that it is up to the personal person to say whether or not another individual should be forced to, carry a child um, no i don't either and, and and it certainly isn't up to the government to say absolutely so let's briefly um i, w- I want to mention two things and then i want to move on to um a, a case on the other side of the spectrum that kennedy has uh decided on and but but first i, I just want to point out two things and one it's a couple of things that i've seen people criticize uh mostly my liberal friends one of those things is that people criticized Trump for saying that he would not question potential judges about um, how they would have decided on Roe versus Wade. And it was portrayed in multiple media stories as just despicable that he wouldn't that he wouldn't ask them about this. And I just want to uh, put on the record for those that do not know that it is very, very um, not kosher, not a good thing, um, and is is looked down upon for um, a president to question a judge or any person to question a judge on how they would rule in a certain case. Um, mm-hmm. Donald Trump is absolutely in the right to not question somebody on on that law and on that case. Um, so it, I just had to. I, I wanted to clear the air on that and. The other thing I wanted to clear the air on was the fact that um, some people believe that the that Kennedy stepping down was some sort of political stunt that he might have been bribed into it 
or mm-hmm. even people have gone so far as to say that his son um, was in collaboration with Donald Trump when he was working for Deutsche Bank and um, said somehow the Russians are involved. And I also would like to just, you know, remind people that Justice Kennedy was nominated by a Republican president. So it's not crazy for him to step down during a Republican presidency. And he has said multiple times that the reason he stepped down was so that he could spend time with his grandkids. And for somebody to say, you know, he should have stuck around, he should have stuck around. Well, if he was trying to stick around for a Democratic president, he may have been waiting two or six years or even more. Right. If another Republican was elected. I mean, I I think the the sort of um, liberal conspiracy theories about Justice Kennedy stepping down are that. They are conspiracy theories. They are Mm -hmm. insane. Um, And I think to accuse someone um, of Justice Kennedy's stature of political motivation uh, in his retirement is obnoxious mm-hmm. um i think uh you know everybody on on the left side especially was quick to to praise justice kennedy and herald him uh when he ruled on things on their side um especially with with um lgbt issues and with um women's rights issues and other civil rights things Everybody was quick to praise Justice Kennedy when he did that, but all of a sudden when he retires because he's 81 years old and he's been on the court for 30 years, right. uh, you know, he's some sort of terrible human being whose legacy is trashed because he retired during Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, but I, I, you know, I should note that I, Justice Kennedy's retirement um, has been talked about for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that most justices go on a year-by-year basis, most of them, who are thinking about retirement, go on a year-by-year basis, even all the way down to Justice Thomas. I, I think probably that every year in the homes of Anthony Kennedy, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, and Clarence Thomas, um, there have been conversations about retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 um, so to to talk of political motivation, to talk of collusion, to talk of of any of these things, interference of any kind from children or foreign countries in a retirement of Supreme Court justice is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is below the belt, absolutely. Um, and it makes the assumption that I think is entirely antithetical to the purpose of the Supreme Court. It makes the assumption that Supreme Court justices make political decisions, um, and they certainly aren't charged with doing so. They're charged with making constitutional decisions. Um, but I think now, seeing the debate that has come uh, with the retirement of Justice Kennedy and the polarization, I think it shows um, perhaps that the Supreme Court maybe has become a little too powerful uh, when the retirement of one justice sparks this much controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the record, I don't really think that the anger 
and the vitriol that is coming is about the fact that Donald Trump is getting another appointee to the court because President Obama had two appointees, mm-hmm. uh, President Bush had right. two appointees, President right. Clinton had two appointees, President Reagan had, um, sorry, President Bush 41 had two, President Reagan had three, um, I think, uh, I don't know if Carter had any, um, President Ford, Gerald Ford had one, Nixon had four, uh, and so to to say that it's absurd for Donald Trump to have a second nominee is not the point and is no. also wrong. No. Um, I think the anger and the vitriol is coming from the fact that the ideological tilt of the court is about to potentially change dramatically. Yes. But yes. That's, and that's invite, true. I would invite you, um, all of my friends who are concerned about this, to remember uh, the composition of the Senate as it stands today. Um, and to remember that a nominee has to get 51 votes or 50 plus the vice president. Um, okay. If you are not satisfied with whoever the nominee is, and I understand that the nominee is, um, probably going to be announced uh, next week. Mm-hmm. Um, on on my birthday, actually. Um, oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, if you're not satisfied with that person, the reality is that it's probably going to take some time for the Senate to consider that nominee. Uh, and so you have probably four to six weeks, maybe, maybe a little longer, to call your senators and express your opinion. I'm not guaranteeing that they'll listen, but if you are their constituents, they should listen. And please, 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 if you are trying to reach out to a United States senator who does not actually represent you, as in you are not a resident of their state, registered to vote in their state, then please do not call their office please contact them either via social media or via their online system. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to clog up the phone lines so that their constituents cannot actually get through. And government doesn't function well when we do that. (laughs) Please please don't do that. Um, That's just not okay. Um, And these conspiracy theories are not okay because the Supreme Court of the United States is by its own nature – an apolitical body, right. and for perhaps, perhaps, I'm just saying, if the president nominates a centrist, as I hope he does, um, then maybe some Democratic votes would be appropriate. Maybe it would be nice if we did not have um, this consistent divide over Supreme Court uh, nominations. Maybe it would be nice if we returned to days similar to when Justice Kennedy was confirmed, similar to Justice Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, Justice O'Connor, Justice Souter, uh, Justice Thomas. The, these current and former justices of 25, 30 years ago who were confirmed with overwhelmingly large bipartisan majorities. I right. think that's important for us to return to that because we are at a point in this country 
when we lack faith in our institutions and the political divide surrounding appointments like these only makes that trust in institutions worse. Mm-hmm. And for um, the American people to not have absolute trust in the impartiality of the Supreme Court of the United States is just, I mean, it almost makes me sick um, because there's no way that we can respect the rulings and the decisions of the Supreme Court as the law of the land unless the American people have trust in the Supreme Court. And that isn't going to come if our leaders who have to confirm those justices are so bitterly divided. Um, and so I think I think we've got to figure out some way to return to that. Um, my personal opinion on how to do that is, well, you've, you've got to nominate more centrist justices. They've got to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think... Um... I think the problem of the Supreme Court becoming maybe too powerful is it's an interesting thought. I don't I I've heard it actually a couple times from other people that they believe that not only has the Supreme Court become too powerful, but it is a a um an automobile for the liberal for the Democratic Party because it's easier for them than passing legislation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty low blow. That one came from Ben Shapiro. Uh, <laughs> he, so, so um, I would just point out to, to Ben and to all others who feel that way, um, the uh, civil rights opinions that that um, were were produced by the supreme court that um, desegregated our country that actually gave rights to women um, and they're not to mention the numerous numerous um, opinions they have especially in recent years come out with that support conservative ideas and push forward conservative agendas Um, well yeah i mean look look at look at the fact they just they just this yeah this past week I mean, just, just this week, they they shut down um, uh, forcing people forcing to join labor unions, sector, right? Yeah, public sector labor unions. Right. They, they shut that down. Uh, um, they upheld the travel ban. Yes, they did. Um, they uh, what was the other one uh, this past week? Just just. Uh... And I, I should like to point out to my no. dear friends on my side of the aisle, in this term, this last term of the court. I think there were something like 19 cases ruled on. Um, Justice Kennedy did not side with the liberal bloc on the Supreme Court in a single mm-hmm. one of those cases. Yes. And, but, and... but to my friends on the other side, I think you have to look at Justice Kennedy's legacy right. in supporting you on civil rights issues so often yes. that that Robert Bork, um, the original nominee of President Reagan, would not have done. Right. He would not have done it. Right. Yeah, that's it. Thank you to uh, Ronald Reagan and the Senate at that time for doing... For... Yeah, boy, th- thank you to Senator Ted Kennedy. Yes. Uh, for, for his speech about Robert Bork's America. Right. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, thank you to then Senator Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to others who rejected uh, Judge Bork. Thank you. Um, thank you, Judge Douglas Ginsburg, for withdrawing your own nomination. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you, Justice Anthony Kennedy, for your 30 years of service to the Supreme yes, Court. Thank absolutely. you. Thank mm-hmm. you, Justice Kennedy, for dealing with swinging cases in an unpredictable fashion that upheld ideals on both sides of the ideological spectrum. Thank you for being what a judge is supposed to be. Right. Thank yes. you, Justice Kennedy. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you, by the way, uh, for saying that um, I, I have to read. I have to read this. Uh, his um, his um, opinion in in the Obergefell case. Give me a, give me a minute to pull this up here. We're we're on the fly, fact checking ourselves again. Yes, always always fact checking, flipping through our books. No union is more profound than marriage. Okay, well, that's pretty powerful right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost it. Hang on. My face hit the wrong button. For it embodies the highest idea. I'm I'm losing it. I'm sorry, um, but but basically, in that opinion, Justice Kennedy writes that the petitioners seek equal recognition in the eyes of the law, and under the Fourteenth Amendment, the Constitution protects that right. Uh, he says something that I think is really compelling. Um, he talks about the bonds of marriage uh, enduring even past death. And he talks about um, the fact that the petitioners in that case do not disrespect the institution of marriage, but rather that they respect it so much that they seek it for themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I, I think um, the ideals that he points out of it embodying love and fidelity it, through marriage, it, it, it's that ruling, that opinion, I think, is one of the most striking uh, rulings in the history of the court. Um, you know, the, the perhaps the strongest ally of sort of the rainbow movement mm-hmm. um, wore black. Yeah. Had, I, no I, co- had no color at all, right? Because I mean, you know, he, he, he Lawrence v. Texas, he ruled, struck mm-hmm. down a, a sodomy. 
right. he's ruled in favor every single LGBT rights case that has come yes. before the court since, since his time on the court in 1988. He has ruled in favor of LGBT rights. He right. is probably, uh, or perhaps, the most LGBT-friendly justice ever. Yes, I would. I mean, I, I, as far as writing the opinions of the court, um, he certainly expresses um, the most beautiful language. He does. With he does. regards to equality. I found oh. the quote that you oh, good. referenced. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it now. Good. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure past even death. It would misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it, respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of, of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. And, I mean, that's just one... Do, do you have goosebumps? Because I do. Yeah. I mean, it's to have s someone speak with such elegance and and eloquence and eloquence from, you know, from that position, from the position that he's in. Yes. It's almost it almost reads like poetry. It does. I mean, he really is, is beautiful. Um, it, it's a marvelous opinion. Mm -hmm. Um and I mean, obviously, you know, we protect the First Amendment. We protect the rights of certain religious institutions to not recognize same-sex marriage if they don't wish to do so. But they ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. Mm -hmm. The Constitution grants them that right. Right. So, okay, so you want to go to the courthouse and get married? Go ahead, fine. You want to go to a hotel and get married? Go ahead, fine. Uh, you know, and if to certain churches, if you want to go there and get married, great. To other ones, no. And they have a right not to. They have a right not to be forced to do that because of the First Amendment. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, um, you know, and we could get into the masterpiece ruling, but that's another story for another day. Um, that that is a. Um, that's a slippery slope that we're on um, with businesses denying service. Um, but, but anyway, we'll get into that on another podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you wanted to go uh, to a case on the other side. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about when he sided with conservatives. Mm -hmm. And he did many times. Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps the most important of this uh, generation is the Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission case, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where basically the Supreme Court allowed for um, groups, corporations to funnel money into political campaigns mm -hmm. um, 
and and rather than be subject to the um, individual cap on mm-hmm. on um, funding campaigns. And I guess let's. I want. I want to hear your. I want to hear your take on on the decision before I give my take. I guess. So it's really complicated law, mm-hmm. um, because corporations um, contribute to PACs and to super PACs, but not to campaigns themselves. Right. LLCs can contribute to campaigns themselves, as can individuals, but no. I'm pretty sure no foreign citizen can contribute to U.S. elections. Um, And so it's very complicated law. The decision, I think, is one uh, of tremendous consequence. But um, while I might have argued once that it needed to be overturned, and I, I may argue that again in the future, my thought process now is that campaigns are changing in the way that they're structured and the way that they're run. Um, advertising for campaigns is moving much more towards social media uh, as a platform and away from cable news, radio, newspaper, that sort of thing. Not that it doesn't exist there still, it does. Um, but that's sort of fading as a medium. Um, social media is becoming much more popular. Digital advertising, uh, online advertising is becoming much larger uh, an outlet for campaigns. Um, and so I almost think that changes um, the way that campaign finance needs to be regulated. Um, and I think that we need to see, I believe there's a bill from Senator Warner, Senator Klobuchar, and Senator McCain that was introduced to talk about regulating uh, online campaign advertising, digital advertising, social media uh, activity of campaigns in the same way that television, radio, and newspaper ads are currently regulated or in similar ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to see what happens to that law and to laws like it that might come in the next few years before we make a concrete decision on uh, overturning Citizens United. Yes, I see. Um, so... Uh, it is very complicated law mm-hmm. um, and much, much more complicated than, than the case comes out. Actually, some people, I guess, might be surprised to find that the case itself was simply based on a political ad. Um, right. It was about a, a movie targeting right. Hillary Clinton. Yes. Yes. And the, the, and the political ad was banned um, because it uh, – it was seen as slander, basically, against Hillary Clinton uh, and mudslinging in a campaign. And the what what the Supreme Court said was that corporations enjoy the rights of freedom of speech just like any other individual. And um, because of that, they cannot be stopped from running such political ads if they have the means to do it. Now in the years that have followed um, that ruling has kind of been expanded. Uh, People have kind of tested the waters to see what they can do. And now we're at the point where um, super PACs are able to contribute 
um, millions and millions and millions of dollars to uh, political campaigns. Well, I think, hang on a minute, because I think it should be noted, um, super PACs cannot coordinate with campaigns themselves. They have to run independent uh, advertising, and that cannot be coordinated with the campaign. That's known as collusion. Um, and, and so I think that is an important distinction. Not- You're right. It, and that is fair. That is fair. Definitely, um, as long as you're kept separate, I understand that, that you do have that um, freedom to speak. And um, I think the issue is that when they have such freedom and when these PACs have such power, they are able to push for any candidate that they wish. Um, and only until now, with the election of Donald Trump, has it not worked? Um, well, I want to, I want to, I mean, yes, the idea that, that corporations um, have this immense power um, in sort of increasing the uh, wealth gap, if you will, in terms of political contributions is not, it's not unimportant. And I don't disregard that. Um, the reason that I'm not willing to say that Citizens United absolutely should be overturned, number one is because of the reasons I talked about with the changes in campaigns. Mm-hmm. But number two, uh, Donald Trump is president. Right. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just beat Joe Crawley in New York, a 20-year incumbent. Right. Um, and beat him by 14 points right. in a Democratic primary. Bernie Sanders launched uh, an incredibly impressive challenge to Hillary Clinton. And I think that at one point, uh, before he suspended his campaign, his average contribution was something like $27. Right. right. Now, obviously, he, he was not on the successful uh, end of that campaign, but... He still mounted an incredibly impressive campaign. I think one probably stronger than anyone expected him to mount. Um, and, and he did so with a lot of grassroots support. I think the most important thing for people to think about when they think about Citizens United um, and when they think about corporations and political speech, um, it, it's intended to sway your opinion. Okay. The corporations advertising through through PACs and super PACs, they, those ads are intended to sort of um, hold up the adage that if you say it so many times, it'll eventually be true. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what? If you don't want it to be true, it does not have to be. Right. Corporations, corporations do not have the power to vote. Right. Money does not vote. People do vote. So I guess my advice on Citizens United at this point, um, if you don't like the speech being made by corporations on either side of the aisle, whether it be made by the Koch brothers or by George Soros and Tom Steyer or by um, uh, um, who are those people, the Mercers Mm -hmm. um, or Warren Buffett or whoever it might be, 
and whatever ideological spectrum they, they might be on, if you don't like it, you don't have to agree with it, and you get to vote. You get right. to vote. Right. So go vote. Turn out to vote. For God's sake, turn out to vote. If you want change in the political system, vote. That's, vote. And, and that's the problem. And that's the problem with all of this is that these ads that are meant to sway your opinion do. They do, and they reach the audience that is voting. That is yes. older. They reach their target. Older audiences, older, more often than not, older white audiences. They, it's completely successful. And, and I think, I think that with the rise of the social media campaign, we are seeing younger people start to vote more. Um, I hope that that trend continues, but as of right now, uh, young voters are still outnumbered by older voters. And um, until that changes, I think I will still feel the same about um, super PACs being able to push and pedal whatever they want. And it doesn't help when we have, you know, mainstream news organizations pushing and peddling whatever they want. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, you know, um, so, I mean, my... Seriously, if you want to talk about uh, for the last few minutes, and, and then we, we probably should wrap up here. Mm-hmm. But, but if you want to talk about how to change uh, the political conversation in this country, the way things are going with the fact that 90% of incumbents get reelected uh, with 60% of the vote or higher every single time, 90% of the time, 90% of the time the incumbent wins. And they win with 60% of the vote or higher. 90% of the time. 90%. Which is crazy. 90%. That's nuts, okay? If you want to change that, vote. Right. And if you want to change that, turn off CNN, turn off Fox News, yes. turn off MSNBC, go watch ABC, go watch NBC, go watch CBS, and for heaven's sake, pick up a newspaper. Read. <laughs> pick up a newspaper. Do not get your... Do not let Facebook or Twitter be your primary news source. Uh, no. Don't no. do it. Don't do it. And watch local news. Please yeah. watch local news. Because guess what? The most important things that happen in government happen at the local level at your school boards, your city councils, your county governments, and your state legislatures. That's where it happens. That's where the most change that affects your life the most immediately happens and guess what most people don't pay attention to those elections because what do we not watch local news and what do we not read local news so we've got to change that i'm not saying don't pay attention to national news but what i am saying is please for the love of god quit watching sean hannity and rachel maddow mm-hmm. yeah go at it after each other every day they, they are in the words of ted koppel those kinds of news contributors opinion contributors mm-hmm to the news industry. They're not news. They are dangerous for America. They are. Because they're, they're brainwashing you. I don't care what ideology you hold. They are brainwashing you to believe that your side is the only side that's ever right and that everybody on the other side is somehow either stupid or evil or both. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just not true. I think we urged you in the last podcast to go out and find somebody in real life who you know who doesn't agree with you. And I'm going to urge you to do that again. Yeah. Sit down and have a real face-to-face conversation about real issues. And I promise you, because Paul and I do this, we're doing it right now, <laughs> that, that you will agree right. probably more often than you don't. Absolutely. Right? It's true. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I, as a final um, sort of shout out here at the end of our podcast, technology is really cool. Uh, Paul and I are recording this, in case you do not know, on an app called Anchor. I am sitting in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Paul is sitting in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, we are three hours in time difference. And yet, I'm pretty sure both of us are recording this podcast right now on our iPhones. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we are probably both sitting in the comforts of our, of our homes. We are not in a professional studio. Uh, and we're not together. But right. here we are recording together, bringing you this message. And guess what? I'm a Republican. Paul's a Democrat. And for probably 80% of this podcast, we've agreed on most right. things. Right. Yeah. It's really I mean, remarkable. It's... it's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, uh, you just got to talk to each other. I, I try to talk to my conservative friends as often as possible. And that's the only way that we're going to come up with any sort of solution um, to today's problems. And, and I want to I note to everybody here, I may not be as conservative as, as some other Republicans are, but Paul, my dear friend on the other side of the aisle, has actually urged me numerous times to run for office and offered to help me if I run for public office. Whoa, hang on a second. <laughs> Let me repeat that. A Democrat in Massachusetts (laughs) has offered to help a Republican in Arizona seek public office. Okay, it can happen if you just have real conversations. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's what it comes. You know, we we, you have to play on one side of the team or the other because that's just how it is. But that's the system. but But the but in reality, we're not. Democrat and Republican. We're American. We're American. We're human. Yes. And and working together is the only way to to make humanity better. From your lips to America's ears, my friend. I hope so. Um, <laughs> well, Rob, we are we are we hit spot on. We did a good job tonight. I think. Oh, good. good. Staying Perfect. succinct. Um, and, uh, you know, we loved talking about Justice Kennedy and the Supreme Court. Um, we look forward to seeing what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, mm-hmm. in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe maybe next time we'll uh, we'll talk about something non-political. Yeah, maybe we'll, we should talk we'll about dinner that. parties or something. Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob and I both love to cook. So I think maybe we'll we'll do something like that next time. We should go through like Julia Child's The Art of French Cooking or something. <laughs> there we go. Okay, we're doing there it. There it is. Here we go, everybody. <laughs> we're going through Julia Child's The Art of French Cooking on the next Since You Asked and Even If You Didn't. Thank you so much for listening. For Paul Knapp, I am Rob Egan. Stay tuned for our next episode. We love you. Good night. Good night. <laughs>